Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Well, good morning and happy Easter. We, uh, I was asked in the lobby by a young man um, who does this frequently. He said, uh, what are you going to talk about today? <laughs> well, I think there's only one Easter story. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that uh, today. And uh, as, we, as we get ready, uh, I, I want to give you a heads up. Every Easter... Uh, every Christmas Eve and every Easter, I take a spiritual survey of, the, of our congregation, of the crowd, just to kind of let me know uh, the spectrum, kind of where everybody is in their belief in and relationship with Christ. It's really simple. I'm going to ask you uh, in a few minutes at the end of my talk to, to take your communication card and write, one of four letters of the alphabet on your card, A, B, C, or D, right? A, if uh, you're already a follower of Jesus when you walked in the room today, however your tradition says it, already a Christian, already born again, already been saved, already walking with Jesus, already received Jesus, however, A stands for already. Got it? B stands for I am believing on Jesus today. I am becoming a follower of Jesus today. C stands for, I'm not yet a Christian, but I'm considering it. And I'd like you to resource me a little bit with some more information. C, considering. D uh, is a great honest answer. I mean, this is upfront honest answer. D is, I don't ever intend to receive Christ. So we'll get there in a few minutes. Now, usually, uh, most of you Dogwood people know, usually when we come to a service uh, and it's time for the teaching, I will open the Scriptures and we'll go to a particular passage uh, of the Scriptures and we'll unpack that, uh, that passage. Today's subject is so broad, I'm not, not broad, so big, so important. It is the central truth of the Christian faith. If you remove the reality of the resurrection uh, from Christianity, you have something, but it's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. It, the resurrection of Jesus is the big deal. It's the point. Without Jesus rising from the dead, the Apostle Paul said, uh, we are to be most pitied of all people on the earth because we've been living and believing a lie. Some of you here might be thinking, well, I'm, I don't think this is true. That's okay. What I hope to do today is at least to give you clearly what we believe, what we believe the Bible teaches and says about the resurrection of Jesus, why it's important, and because it's true, the difference that that can make in your life and in my life. Now, God gave us, because this is so important, He gave us at least five eyewitness accounts of the resurrection from the Scriptures. In all four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, uh, Matthew in his gospel, Mark in his gospel, Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, the physician and historian in his gospel account, uh, the Apostle John in his gospel account, uh, and even the Apostle Paul, way back over in the backside of his first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he gives a, a, a snapshot of some of the happenings related to the resurrection of Christ. Now, when you take all these witnesses, they kind of serve like you and I would if we were all eyewitnesses of an event. We would all see some of the same things. Uh, 
most likely each one of us would see some things that the others did not see. And so we, we might add to the, to the clarity and the meaning uh, and the understanding of the event. God in His great wisdom, uh, as the way the Scriptures say it, God the Holy Spirit inspired holy men of old to write down His words, and He used several of them to give us this account. So we're going to try to harmonize these and uh, take a look at the, get as clear a picture as we can of the happenings of the resurrection of, of Christ. Now, it appears that, a careful study appears that there were at least 11 appearances of Jesus that are recorded in the Scriptures after He rose from the dead. We're not going to deal with all those, but six or seven of those I'm going to get to today that are kind of big deals. So, here we go. Go with me. Go with me in your minds and your imagination back to the spring of 33 A.D. It is the week of Passover, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus, during that week, had been betrayed. He had been arrested. He had been tortured. He had been crucified and died on the cross. Let's pick it up with the death of Jesus. Late on that Friday afternoon, what we would call the first Good Friday. Now, According to the teachings of the Jewish faith in Deuteronomy chapter 21, they did not want any dead bodies exposed on the Sabbath. And so uh, time's running out because, you know, the Jewish day would end at sundown, like 6 p.m. or so, Friday's going to end, the Sabbath is going to begin, time is short. Two men showed up and got an audience with Pilate, the Roman ruler of the region. And they were prominent men. One was named Joseph of Arimathea. Now, a lot of Josephs in the Bible. There's the Joseph back in Egypt, back in Genesis, who became the prime minister uh, of Egypt and, and was used by God miraculously to, to, to save that region of the world from a seven-year famine. This is not that Joseph. There's the Joseph, Mary and Joseph. Joseph, the earthly father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, Joseph and Mary, Bethlehem, the Christmas story. This is not that Joseph. Different Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. In fact, this is the only thing we know about him is that he showed up. Now, he was a, the Bible says he was a rich man. The Bible says he was a wealthy man, a, a prosperous man. He was also a righteous man. Now, this does not mean self-righteous. It means that he was, because God condemns self-righteousness. You know, that's our problem. That's what keeps us from God is we think we are okay, self-righteous. We don't need Christ's righteousness. But another sermon for another time. Uh, uh, he was not self-righteous. He was righteous in the sense of rightly related to God through proper faith in Him. The Bible says he was a man who was looking for the kingdom of God. In other words, he was praying for, working for, hoping for the reign and the rule of God to take place on earth. That that would be a good day. If he had had the words of our Lord in the model prayer, he would have prayed, Lord... Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And be said, please, God. And that'd be darn good praying for us right now, don't you think? Please, God, your reign and rule, be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was that kind of guy. Now, he was a prominent man also. He was a member of the Jewish uh, ruling council called the Sanhedrin, one of the 71 members. Uh, they had been given autonomy. You know, the Roman government would give local rulers and governments some kind of delegated autonomy to rule over their own affairs that helped keep the peace of Rome. 
uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin was one of those. He had become a secret follower of Jesus, but now he steps up publicly. He was accompanied by Nicodemus that we know of from John chapter 3, who who was also a prominent man. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher of Israel. That means he was a Hebrew scholar. He was a scholar of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, a teacher of Israel who recognized, one of the first people to recognize Jesus was unique, came under the cover of darkness because he himself was... uh, Uh, nervous about being affiliated with Jesus. He defended Jesus before the Sanhedrin. He himself was a member of the Sanhedrin. Um, uh, But he now comes forward. They come to Pilate, take the body of Jesus. It's awarded to them. Uh, The scriptures say that near the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. Well, cemetery is what it was. And a garden tomb that Joseph of Arimathea owned. He was a wealthy man. Wealthy, it took wealth to have this kind of a tomb. They were carved into the stones, carved into the rock. Not just a little burial plot. They were like a a, a chamber carved into the stone that you could walk in. Several bodies could be buried, could be placed in that tomb. It had not been used. It was new. And so Joseph, along with Nicodemus, the scriptures say, wrapped the body of Jesus in clean, fine, expensive linen, covered him with the 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, uh, the ointments that were used to prepare bodies for for burial, and then rolled that heavy tombstone into the groove that covered and sealed the the tomb of Jesus. The scriptures say that Mary, also a lot of Marys running around about this time, Not, not Mary the mother of Jesus, she's not in this scene, but Mary Magdalene, who the scriptures say had been a demon-possessed prostitute, who had met Jesus, he'd cast out her demons, she had been saved, she'd become a follower of Jesus. She was there watching. Another Mary, Mary the mother of James the Lesser, one of the two disciples of Jesus whose names were James the Lesser and uh, his brother Joseph. She was there with some others. They were observing. Uh, and then when the Sabbath came, stones scrolled over, they departed to prepare Uh, burial spices, they were going to come back after the Sabbath day and do more preparation on the body of Jesus. Sundown. Sabbath begins. Sometime after the Sabbath begins, I'm I'm just guessing, I'm imagining, it was uh, daylight the next day, no reason for it to be sooner. The leaders of the Jewish faith, the high priest and the others, went to see Pilate, and here's what they said. They said, that liar, when he was still alive, talking about Jesus, that liar, when he was still here, said more than once, if you kill me, three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And we don't want want his disciples to be able to come back and steal his body away, and then run around making all these false claims that we have a risen Messiah, and we've got a whole big problem on our hands. Would you seal the tomb. That means would you put the official Roman seal on that tomb that nobody can open it unless they have the authority of Rome. And would you place Roman guards in front of that tomb? He said, sure. And so he placed the Roman guards there. They're there on the Sabbath. Now, these were the the ancient world equivalent of our army rangers, of our navy seals, of special forces. They were the the, the best equipped and most finely trained fighting men in the known world at the time. They were guarding the tomb. 
The Sabbath continues Saturday. It's sundown, 6 p.m.-ish. Sabbath is over. First day of the week, Sunday comes. We're into the darkness. Sometime in the, in the darkness, in the wee hours of the morning, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came in dazzling white robes. His appearance was as lightning, he says. I think kind of like a flash of lightning and with the sense of the same kind of power. He appeared, came, rolled the stone away in front of all those guards. So just could he do that? Yeah, angels you see are powerful beings, the scriptures say. No problem for him. He was, it was such a scary event. It was frightening that the Roman guard, these tough men were paralyzed with fear. And scriptures say they became as dead men. Now they weren't dead. It means they, they passed out four o'clock dead, passed out, scared them. Uh, must have been incredibly frightening. He rolled the stone away. Well, sometime later they came to their senses. They woke up, realized the stone's been rolled away. They obviously checked in. The body's gone. We're in trouble. They scattered. But some of them made their way to the Jewish high priest and the Jewish officials and told them what had happened. And here's what the leader said. Here's what we'll do. We're going to give you this large sum of money. Large sum of money. And we are going to uh, uh, say this. Here's what you'll say. If anyone asks you or confronts you about what's going on, you say this. His disciples came in the night and overpowered us and stole the body. Now think about that a moment. The disciples were ex-commercial fishermen. Now no doubt they were a little rough around the edges and probably had had a fist fight or two. But they'd not had one day of training for warfare and combat. And so here's what... The, so, so these disciples are going to come and overpower the Navy SEALs, right? Sure. And besides, the Navy SEALs are always asleep on the job anyway, right? Yeah, just crazy stuff. But they said that, that story has been passed around even up until this day. Oh, the disciples just stole his body. He's not, a, he's not alive. He's not alive. A little later, the women, Mary, Magdalene, the other Mary, not the mother of Mary, uh, a woman named Salome, a woman named Joanna, and some other women were up early uh, before daylight on, the, on Sunday coming back to the tomb to do the further preparations. Now, they'd seen that done. I don't know if sort of they thought it was just a couple of men did it. It's probably not done right. I don't know if that's why they were coming to do more. But they were coming to do more, and when they got there, they saw the stone had been rolled away, and so they, they felt their way into the, the tomb, and, and there were two angels in there in dazzling white dress, frightened them, obviously. They said, and the angel said to them, what? Fear not. That's always the funniest thing to me because everybody's scared spitless when they see these angels. I think it's a joke on the angels' parts. Watch this. Fear not. And so um, they're, they're, they're frightened, they're stunned, they're, all, they're grieving. You know how you think, do you, have you, many of you been in deep, deep, horrible grief before? Did you think clearly? No. So they're already a little muddle-headed. It's before daylight. The angels appear and say, he is, Jesus is not here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen just as he said he would. Go tell his disciples. Well, the Scriptures say that they fell all over themselves running from the tomb. It says they were trembling, they were astonished, they were 
uh, afraid. Uh, they were confused. But they ran from the garden back into the city to the upper room where the eleven and uh, the other followers of Jesus were uh, behind the closed doors there because they were frightened for their own lives. And they told them this. They didn't tell them what the angel said. They said, the stone's been rolled away, the master's body has been moved, and we don't know where he is. So wait a minute, the angels told him he, he's risen, go tell... Why, why didn't they tell him what the angels said? You ready for this? Write this down. I don't know. I speculate it was because they were a little bit rattled. Uh... The body's gone, the angel, we just saw angels, who knows why, but John and Peter, the disciple, left the upper room, ran back to the garden tomb. A lot of running uh, this, on, this, on this day, back in, and forth. They got there, still dark, John's peeking in, Peter goes on in to try to find the body. He said, what do you mean find the body? Well, he can't see. I mean, it's dark. You're in a basically a man-made cave. No sunlight. It's dark. He's feeling around in there for the body of Jesus. I'd have been afraid I'd have found one, wouldn't you? You know, ah, here he is. But uh, he found nothing but the grave clothes. Now, later on, John, the apostle in, in chapter 20, about verse 8, somewhere along in there, he testifies that at that point, he believed Jesus had risen from the dead. Peter didn't. Nobody else did at that point. But he believed it. So they go back into town to the upper room. Well, Mary Magdalene, evidently the women had followed along, or Mary had come back. She remained there and just, just weeping. Well, the angels appeared again and said, Woman, why are, you, why are you weeping? Jesus is not here. He's risen. And so she, she turned and Jesus is there. First appearance to Mary Magdalene. Jesus is there. She thought he was the gardener. He's, you know, it's dawn, early dawn. She didn't recognize him. And she said, Miss Matt, if you would tell me where you put him, please, I'll, and I, so I can care for him. And he said, Mary. And she recognized his, his voice. And she grabbed him and he said, don't, don't cling to me. I'm not gone yet. I'm not ascended to my father yet. You go back and tell my disciples uh, what's going on. So what happens now? A little bit more running. She, she runs back into Jerusalem, back to the upper room, and, and, and goes in and says, yes, his body is gone, the tomb is empty, but he is alive. I have seen him. Well, they didn't believe her. They didn't believe her. So fast forward a, a few hours, it's midday. Two of the followers of Jesus are walking away from the city of Jerusalem to the a place called Emmaus, a little village called Emmaus. Uh, one of their names was Cleopas. Now, I don't think that name's ever going to make a comeback. And so if you're expecting and you're going to have a little boy, don't name him Cleopas. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's going to work today. So y'all be careful about naming your kids. And so, um, uh, but, but one of them was named Cleopas, and they were talking with each other about all that had gone on. Well, the Lord appeared. He came along Side them, they didn't recognize him, and he said, what are you talking about? He said, well, are you the only person in the world who does not know what has taken place 
in Jerusalem across these past three or four days. Jesus the Nazarene, you heard him? Uh, a prophet of God, uh, mighty in word, mighty in deed. We thought he was the Messiah. We placed our hopes in him that he was the one who would establish the kingdom of God, um, reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And uh, But yet our, our, our chief priests and, and rulers betrayed us and betrayed him and had him executed. Yet now some of uh, the women in our group went to the tomb and and his body was gone and and they are claiming that they have seen him, that he is alive. It's really strange. And Jesus, the Scriptures say, began to teach the Scriptures to them. Now, I think it. we don't know what those Scriptures were. I imagine it's something about the prophecies of his life and death, burial and resurrection. Uh, Just speculation. He went all the way to Emmaus with them, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And there, sat down to have a meal with them. As they sat down and he began to break bread, the Scriptures say he opened their eyes and they recognized him for who he was. (gasps) It's the Lord! And he disappeared. Well, a little bit more running. And uh, they up and they run all the way back to Jerusalem, all the way back to the upper room, again, where the the 11 disciples and the other followers of Jesus uh, are behind locked doors because, again, they're afraid for their own lives. And they begin to tell what had happened. Well, as they are speaking to the disciples, Jesus appeared, third appearance, well, probably a fourth appearance, but third one I'm going to talk about. Third appearance, he appeared in their midst, in the upper room, greeted them, frightened them, frightened them. They thought they were seeing a ghost. And he said, no, 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 it's me. I'm in in the flesh. Examine me. See my hands. See the holes in my feet. See my my side. I'm, I am flesh and bone. Well, they didn't believe him. He said, is there any food? And uh, there was some leftover fish from dinner and they brought him the fish and he sat down and he, he ate the fish. He said, look, watch this. Ghosts do not eat food. It's me. I, I have risen bodily from the dead. That's the claim of Christianity. Not just that Jesus rose in spirit, but that he bodily rose from the dead. He said, well, I'm, I'm, it's me. Well, they were thrilled. But somebody was missing. Who was it? Thomas. And what do we call him? Doubting Thomas. Now, let's not be too, let's not be too tough on Thomas. Wouldn't you doubt a little bit? I would. I would. Thomas returns and they tell him, we've seen the Lord. He came to visit us. And he said, I'll not believe it until I put my Hands in his hand, the holes in his hands, and my hand in his side where the spear thrust into his side. Now, fast forward with me eight days later. Eight days later, same room, same gathering except Thomas is in the room. The next Sunday evening, Jesus appeared another time. This time, he gave all of his attention to Thomas. And he walked to me and said, Thomas, put your hands, put your finger in my hand. Here's my side. He said, don't, don't, don't have these unbelieving thoughts. Believe. And Thomas did believe. And he fell to his knees, the Bible said, and he made one of the great proclamations of the faith. He said, he declared Jesus to be, he said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Thomas believed him not to be just a great spiritual leader, not just to be one of God's prophets. He called him God which is who Jesus claimed to be, by the way. God come in the flesh. God the Son, second person of the Trinity. 
And he, he declared, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, magnificent scene. Well, Jesus appeared several more uh, times, but um, there was a, um, an appearance on the Mount of Galilee. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 6 tells us that there was a gathering of over 500 followers of Jesus, and he appeared to them in Galilee on the mountain, probably Mount Tabor. Uh, we, we believe that that's where he gave the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's where that happened. Over 500 people at one time saw him. Finally, there's a, the other appearance I want to mention is 40 days after his resurrection, approximately 40 days, they're back in Judea, in Jerusalem, at the Mount of Olives. And Dr. Luke, the historian, in his account, in Acts chapter 1, tells us that Jesus, there in the flesh, before his, uh, the 11 disciples and some others, went to the Mount of Olives. And there the disciples asked him, Okay, Lord, now... Now is the t- is now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they still didn't quite understand the work of the Messiah at that time. They thought he was going to kick Rome out, reset up the kingdom, the, the government, the, the nation of Israel, and this, plus have a spiritual renewal and that kind of thing. He, all he said was, that's not for you to know. But here's what you can know. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he ascended into heaven. And that's it. Jesus rose from the dead. Not just rose, he is. We don't say he did rise. We celebrate and say he is risen. He is risen. He is still alive today. And and we celebrate that this Easter. He is alive. The tomb is empty. That's what we've been singing about, clapping about, being excited about. Now the question comes, so what? I mean, some of our worship leaders and some of the songs we sang earlier, and we're going to sing it again, say something like, thank you, Lord, because uh, the tomb is empty and I am free. I'm going to say, okay, wow, that's a jump. Now, okay, that's a jump. The tomb is empty. That's all about Jesus. But all of a sudden we're talking about me. I am free. What? Tomb is empty. Jesus is like, I am free. Free from what? What kind of freedom? Those are good questions. What does this mean? Why is this important? Well, here we go. Here's what the Scriptures say. The resurrection of Jesus proves at least three things, probably more, but at least three things. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead proves that He is who He claimed to be, God. Some say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, yeah, He did. All over the place. And uh, in the Gospel of John, for example, one time, he, um, he was in the temple. He had just thrown out the money changers, uh, cleared the temple, uh, he was doing some teaching in the temple and the Jewish authorities showed up and they said, hey, this is a loose translation. Hey, buddy, what gives you the authority to do and say these things? He said, again, very short translation, I'm God. They said, prove it. And he said, okay, kill me and three days later I'll come back from the dead. Now you just read it in there. It's, it's there. 
It's there. His resurrection, he said, my resurrection will prove that I am who I claim to be. God come in the flesh. In, in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Even though he dies. Who has the power over life and death? I mean, who has the power over life and death? Only God. Only God. He claimed to be God. He rose from the dead. It proves that he was who he claimed to be. It also proves that he has the power that he claimed to have. Well, what, what kind of power? Well, he claimed to have all power. All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth, he says in Matthew chapter 28. The power to do all kinds of things. Uh, rise from the dead, forgive sin. John chapter 1 says he is the one who had the power to, to create the universe. He is the agent of creation. All power. It proves he was who he claimed to be. It proves he uh, had the power that he claimed to have. And third, it, the resurrection of Jesus proves that he is trustworthy, that he does what he says he will do. We are not so much trustworthy. We don't always do what we say we're going to do when we say we're going to do it, but he does. And he did. Listen to this. In Mark ten thirty four, Jesus said, They will mock me and flog me and kill me, but after three days, I will come back to life again. And that's exactly what he did. And because he is God, he has all power, and he is trustworthy, that means that because of the resurrection, he can make these three differences in your life. And he's the only one who can. First of all, it means that your past can be forgiven. Now, we all have a past, don't we? We do. We've all, we've all done things we wish we had not done. We've all said things we wish we had not said. We've all thought things we, oh, God help us, we wish we'd not thought and hope nobody ever knows that we've thought those things. Those things are called sin. It's because we've got a condition of the heart called sin. We are sinful, broken, messed up, moral, and spiritual, fouled up people that are far from God, separated from God because of our sin. It's a sin problem. And so we carry around this past, this burden of guilt and shame. But you don't have to do that any longer. Listen, Jesus said, or, or it says about Jesus in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, He has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. If you come to Him, He will forgive you your sins. And you can, because Jesus was nailed to the cross, you can stop nailing yourself to the cross. Your past can be forgiven because of the resurrection of Jesus. Also, your present problems can be managed. Now, many of you have huge problems. Some of them I know about as pastor of this church. We have people, brothers and sisters in our church family who are suffering from life-threatening diseases who are in great pain we have some of you are suffering uh, great financial difficulties and job and career difficulties some of you are in uh, have relational problems that are heartbreaking uh, marriages that seem to be dissolving or kids that have rebelled and gone over the wall and reject I mean just hard 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 things we all have problems we all have tough problems one of my mentors used to say to me, he said, Keith, be kind to everybody because everybody's having a hard time, whether they look like it or not. And we are. But because of the resurrection, our present problems can be managed. Listen to this. Ephesians 1.20, how incredibly great is 
His power to help those who believe in Him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. There's that resurrection stuff again. That power, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, He has and is operative in those who believe in Him to help you in your present difficulties, in your circumstances. You say, well, well, how will He help? He will do one of two things. He will either solve your problem, deliver you from this difficulty, from this suffering, from this problem, or He will grant you grace and sustain you through it so that you are not destroyed by it. So, well, do I get to pick? No, He does. So, well, which is He going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I've seen Him do both. Sometimes He's solved my problems and others I'm living with. And He's sustaining me in them. But He'll do both. Some of you are showcases for the grace of Christ. And many of us have watched you, some for weeks, some for months, some for years, who are in great suffering. And your problems have not gone away. He's not delivered you from those problems. But... His presence and power in you. Those of you who believe in Him, are that He is sustaining you by that power in that you're still living life with love and joy and peace. And we look at you and say, Jesus has got to be alive. Look at them. Look at them. Your present problems can be managed by His power. He'll do what's best. Your past can be forgiven. Your present problems can be managed, and because of the resurrection, your future life in heaven can be secured. Now, every year before this sermon, I do, I do a study of the area, and I've discovered that uh, the death rate in Fayette, in Coweta County, remains the same. It's like one out of every one people die. Still the same. Everybody's going to die. Everybody dies. Your mama's going to die, your daddy's going to die, you're going to die, your sister's going to die, your kids are going to die. Happy Easter. <laughs> now, now, why is it that so many of you laugh about that? It's because, who cares? Now, I mean, we care. There's grief when it comes, but it's, that's not all there is. Because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, He gives us hope beyond the grave. We place our lives in Him. He gives us abundant and eternal life. We sang earlier, O death, where is your sting? When Jesus rose from the dead, the day He rose from the dead, death died. Death died. It has no power to keep us from him. He takes away our fear of death. Why would you live in fear of death? Because it's, com- it's coming, it's coming. And only a fool fails to prepare for that which is inevitable. So I'd give my life to him. He offers it to you. Why don't you do that now? I want you to pray with me. Let's pray. Take a moment from your heart. Some of you would say, well, pastor, what do I do to have this life? You do two things. You repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus. You repent of your sin. That means that you stop fooling yourself and you admit to yourself in God that you're a sinful person who's been living in open revolt against the rule of God in your life. And that you you grieve your sin and you turn from it and turn to 
Jesus. Second, you believe in Jesus. That means not just that you believe these facts about Jesus, but that you also place your active trust in Him alone. You say, Lord, not only do I believe that you died on the cross for my sin in my place and rose from the dead, proving that you had the power to do so, but I'm, ask, I'm telling you I need it, and I need you, and I'm opening up the door of my life and ask that you come into my life as my Savior and forgive me and cleanse me. And I'm asking that you come in as my Lord, my God, and that you own and direct me, you control me for the rest of my life. And I commit to serve you as you give me strength for as long as I live. Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. Others of you who are believers, you already believe in Him and you're suffering. you got problems, big ones, million dollar ones. Well, come to Him and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you either to deliver me out of these problems and solve them or by your grace, sustain me in them. Either way, I will trust in you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are risen and present in our lives. Thank you for this great salvation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more. 